Hello, you're listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast. Whether you're at work, driving in your car, or getting your workout on, we hope and pray that what you hear today will fill your spirit. Come, join us as we walk through God's Word together. God is pivoting his church in Acts 13 as he works to fulfill the last part, the last stage, the last phase phase of the promise in Acts 1.8. In that last phase, remember what Jesus told them before he left, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And he says, and in essence, and you will be, as a result, you will be my witnesses. And he states where there will be the witnesses. And we saw in Jerusalem, we saw throughout Judea, we hear and see throughout Samaria. And now, just like Jesus is, what he says he will fulfill, he now steps in and he now is allowing the church to pivot and to get into the last part of that promise to the outermost, to the outer reaches of the world. And that's what's starting to happen here in Acts 13. I'm only going to cover the three verses at the beginning because the church in Antioch teaches us a great number of things. That as the church today, we need to pay attention to Luke, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us a great look at what this church was like. And he does it at a pivotal time as God is launching the remainder of his mission out into the world and the church that he would use to launch it. The church in Antioch would become a hub for Christianity in the Gentile world, in the non-Jewish world. And it is for us to take a good look because that's where we live. That's where we rest. That's this, from, from here on, as we see it outside of Jerusalem, would eventually include us because the gospel will eventually come and hit and is still growing and hitting. But I want us to look at the church that God chose to launch from in this pivot and what he is letting us see through the church in Antioch. That's why I titled this, What the Church in Antioch Teaches Us. I'm going to ask us to stand. It's only three verses. I'm going to read it, and then we'll pray. <clears throat> Give a little background, and then we'll move into this for this morning. Starting at verse 1. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Serene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. Father, I pray that as we get into your words today, although a few verses, Lord, many things can be seen and said. And I pray, O oh Lord, that we hear and see what you are saying and showing 
that we would live according to your will. I pray you would give us wisdom and understanding, and that I proclaim you speak, Lord, to the hearts of your people. We surrender to you and commit this time to you. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I realized when I finished up 11, one of the things that I did not mention was just a, a, a line toward the end of the section in 11 that can seemingly pass by. I've actually taught on this before. But it really plays into helping us to get a better picture of this church in Antioch, believed to be one of the largest cities at that time in the empire. Not the largest, but one of them. And it's actually verse 26, but I'm going to read verse 25 of Acts 11. <clears throat> so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. I like that verse in that, as I told you when I taught on 11, that Barnabas, after seeing the grace of God at work and seeing the hand of God at work and wanting to lean into discipling the believers there, not just winning converts, because the call, the commission wasn't for winning converts. That was assumed. The commission actually was making disciples. That was what is the commission. Conversion is implied in discipleship. It must be because you can't make a sinner a disciple unless that sinner is verse converted to Christ. So conversion is assumed, is implied. And yes, it is also directly talked about in other places. But that commission was to make disciples. And so Barnabas was fulfilling the commission when he got to Antioch after they heard what had happened. They get there, and for a whole year, no, no, he figured out first, wait, I need someone to help me make disciples of them, and I got just the guy. He had to hear of Saul who became Paul's call to reach the Gentiles, had to, right? And so now he goes and gets him, who had been off the scene, but he hadn't been sitting there chilling on the side, eating grapes and waiting for the Lord to call him. He was actually understanding, growing in his walk. He, he, and, 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 and we don't hear much, but we hear him talk about some of his development later on. But here he... he he is now poised and ready to be a part of a team that would help to disciple this ethnically diverse group of individuals because that's what the city was like. And he goes and gets a guy who God had called him to reach an ethnically diverse world and people group, Saul. And so they teach, it says, for one year, solid discipleship training. And then in Acts 13, what we get is some of that result. 
It says, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. I love this because we are learning on Thursday nights about the gifts of the Spirit, and you'll see two of them in operation here. Prophecy and teaching. And understand, although for many times we've been led to believe all it is about is someone telling the future, what it is mostly about is someone proclaiming and forthtelling the word of the Lord. In other words, they are saying and speaking what thus says the Lord. Now, we know back at that time they were using primarily what we would call the Old Testament scriptures, but then as God was giving the apostles and or their designates words to be able to share, those became the content for the teaching and growing in discipleship in Christ. And so, as these brothers who were gifted began to proclaim the word of the Lord and then to teach them intently how they are to understand their faith and how they are to grow in their faith, Obviously, the natural outcome is maturing believers. How do you launch into an ethnically diverse world, God's church, with the gospel, proclaiming what says the Lord and teaching them, as Jesus said, that, you know, teaching them to obey everything that I have taught you. Remember? That's what he told them. And so the Antioch church, as they were doing that, they focused so much on Christ. It is believed that that term that came Christian was because just like back at the time, they had those who were Herodians, those who followed Herod, and they had the different names for people that were students or followers of. It is believed that this was not one, that, that, that this name was given, was not given in honor. It was given in making fun of and joking. That's all they talk about is Christ. Christ, Christ, Christ. That's all you always hear these people focusing on. Everything is about Christ. Those are Christians. Man, that we would be joked about like that. Their life was so absorbed by Christ and lived out in such a way as Christ being talked about all the time that the people in Antioch, it is believed the unbelieving world said, just like there are Herodians, <laughs> those are Christians. Because the name didn't take at first. Christians, the, 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 the people of the way, the believers, the saints, you see Luke describe them in several ways up until that point. None of them were Christians. When they got the Antioch, this church that was ethnically diverse, this church that was in one of the largest cities, this church that would be the pivot for God's missionary venture, was so absorbed and obsessed with Christ, that's all they could call him. What would our nickname be if people were around us as a group of believers? Man, I started thinking about what would that name be? Is it what we do, who we are, what we look like, or who we represent? What do we talk about so much that people say, that's what you must be about? 
that was sobering for me to think about. What would, what would people say? Reminds me, reading this article, wow, this was probably not long after I had um, come here and started pastoring among you, was reading this article about a brother about how they started reaching out in their neighborhood. He said that we were very inward focused. We had prime property that the city had come. They had wanted our land to build some things that were going on in this particular city, and they kept coming back, and they were offering more and more. And in their frustration, they said, why won't you give us the land? If you left, no one would miss you. And he said, the pastor said, I took offense with that. I was mad, and then I thought about it, and he said they were right. It wasn't anything that we were doing that would warrant us even being known in this community. What were we known for? And his conclusion was, we just own land that someone else wanted. And then he began to prayerfully with the leaders begin to put together a plan of how they were going to reach out into their community with the gospel and compassionately. And now are known that if they were to move, they've actually had it said to them by people in the community, if you guys were ever to leave, we would be so upset. See, my deal is this church in Antioch, according to the end of chapter 11, was such that they were known for what they needed to be known for representing Christ and in such a way that saturated their city. And so for you and I, I would say today, why are we called what we're called? What do we want people to say about us because of our engagement in this world, more specifically in our city? and even more in the Zoom focus in our community. And so as we look at that, there are some things that the church in Antioch teaches us. The church in Antioch is the example of the church that is being launched into the Gentile and diverse world. That's what God chose. This wasn't, they, 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 they didn't say, hey, let's, 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 let's build something here that the whole world will take notice of. No, they were being faithful and obedient. Remember how they got started. There were some believers as they were scattered that as most of the people were talking to only Jews, there was this group of Jews that said, mm, you know what, I really think that we should be able to talk to some other people other than those that are like us. This gospel has to be for others, and they did, and God honored it. God blessed it. It grew, and it grew to the point where it got notice of the leaders in Jerusalem. They sent people down. They got taught. They got trained. The Word of God was proclaimed, and that thing exploded. Why? Because a few unknown, unnamed, we don't even know their names. Luke doesn't name them. I said that when I talked about this, that here it was, unknown, probably unimportant to most people, believers proclaimed Christ in such a way that it built this movement of God in their city. And I said to you and I, we don't have to have a name made for ourselves. I was reading something just recently. So glad that we are freed from having to make a name for ourselves. Jesus already made one for us. And the people in Antioch were known 
by Christ. So the church in Antioch teaches us that if you're going to reach a diverse world, your leadership needs to be diverse. Your leadership has to look like what you say you are like. If indeed this gospel is for all and yet I only see one, it's hard for me to understand. Now, if your community is only one, again, that's one thing, but your heart is still for all. And what we see here in the beginning of chapter 13, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. That's also what you will need when you are launching a church in a diverse world. You will need the foundation for how people grow. Prophets proclaiming the word of God, teachers teaching them how they are to obey everything that the Lord has taught. And if your church is grounded on proclaimers of the word to anyone and everyone and teachers of the word to any and anyone, you've got a good foundation. We're going to see later on in chapter 13 that false teachers were already around. We're going to see how Saul dealt with one of them. But the fact of how do you get people to understand the truth of God's word and to not be sucked into that which is false and genuine, proclaim and teach. You've heard me say many times my other life was in banking, and when I was as a bank teller learning about handling money, you know, when, when, when I first started, I was scared to be able to give out. I was always concerned that I would give people too much. I was never concerned about giving them too little because someone will let you know when you've not given them enough, but they may not let you know when you've given them too much. And one of the things that we always had to be concerned about were counterfeits. And you would say, how do they teach a person to know a counterfeit? I'm going to tell you, they showed us maybe once or twice in all of our training in weeks, they showed us a counterfeit or some version of it because there are multiple versions of counterfeits. There's not just one counterfeit, but what they did, most of my training and time was spent on what a real U.S. bill looks like. The components, the stripes, the, the threads in it, if you hold it up to the light, the hologram, now they've changed even more. I've been out of the business for years, but, but, but I knew and I remember that first time as a manager, I'm sitting there and the tele-supervisor comes around and she says, Curtis, I think there's something up with this. And as soon as I reached out and touched that bill, I said, it's fake. The consistency of the bill, the thickness, because I've handled the real thing so much. The moment something was not right, it got my attention. So then we began to run the other test on it. And I said, this is fake. Sent it down because you had to send it down to security. Security came back. Where did you get it? We found out where they got it from. Come to find out it was a business <clears throat> that had been passed one. Here's the point. The business deals in money a lot. But because they're not trained in dealing with true money, they're just trying to collect money they didn't know. 
I'm going to tell you right now, just because you sit collecting Bible verses and Scripture doesn't mean you know the truth. But when you are taught by people that are settled in Christ, when the Word is proclaimed regularly, guess what? When the false comes, you go, mm, something is not right. And I will tell any one of you, if something is not right, check it out. Don't let someone talk you out of it. It may be that it is, but it is, and, and you know what? You've checked it, and you're settled with it. And the number of times that I have said something is not right, and I've let it pass, oh, I'm not that bright, oh, I'm not that much of a spiritual person, and ended up going down the path that I could, that, that I should not have, and I would not have, had I followed my concern. The issue was, this was a church that had prophets and teachers, if it's going to be launched. Antioch teaches us that their leaders represent how God was launching into a diverse world. We said that they were prophets and teachers, gifted people. And all of them, we don't know how the gifts were split. We don't need to. Was it three, two, two, three? What, all of them had both gifts? We don't know. Doesn't matter. We know that in that group of men that were preaching and teaching God's words, these were how they were gifted. You don't need to care who has what. You just want to make sure the what is in your group. We too busy telling people who's prophets and who's teachers. I don't care. As long as we have them, I don't care who is. And why should you? But then he describes who these Leaders are. Who these prophets and teachers are. Barnabas, we heard about him, described him as a good man. He was one that would come and see the grace of God at work anywhere. He wasn't phased by the fact that this people didn't look like him, wasn't raised like him, had some quirks that were different from him. All he saw when he came to Antioch was, it says, the grace of God. And that's all you and I should see. If God places you around people that look different from you, act different from you, may have some different cultural elements, you better be seeing the grace of God at work if indeed God is working among them and so that you can join in. Where do you work? Wherever God calls you to join in. With whom? Whomever he calls you to join in with. Who cares what they look like? So it says Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger. Well, many of us looked that word up. Some of you have because you're laughing. That word means dark. His nickname was Dark. Man, that brother must have been dark for someone to nickname him that. Please don't do that to anyone today. No, man, that's that dark brother. You may say that in your mind, but to say him, hey, dark. Mm. But back then it was no deal. But here, it, it said, who was, he was known because uh, he was a dark African. You already see the difference. Now, you know, Barnabas was a Cyprian Levi. He was from Cyprus. So he was a Jewish guy from Cyprus, already not from the mainland Jerusalem, but he was one of those outer points. And so he already understood what it was like to live around different people. 
but still he was Jewish. So you had Barnabas, who was a Cyprian Jew. Then you had Simeon. Some believe that this is the same Simon the Serene. I don't know how, but that's just how it's, it's, it's believed that he was the same one who was forced to carry the cross of Christ whenever Christ was on his way to Golgotha. And it's believed that he came to faith behind that. Whether he is or not is not important. I'm looking here at the ethnic diversity of the, of the leadership. These are the people that were proclaiming and teaching God's word. And sometimes we say, oh, it can't work. I tell people it worked already. In God's first diverse church, it worked. So then you had Simon, who was called Dark, Lucius, come on, y'all. That name itself had me thinking, Lord, Lucius of Serene. That's another North African there. Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. So here's a guy who grew up around one of the Herods who were horrible, and yet he came to Christ and was changed, and Saul. So you, 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 you see this mix of not only ethnicities but of backgrounds, of ways in which they came to Christ. You didn't have all one. Well, you know, you didn't grow up pure breed like me in the church. You didn't need to. The saving power of Christ reached across all ethnic lines and experiences and brought them all to Christ and had them serving in the same place, teaching a diverse people who were known for being obsessed with Christ. And I looked at that, and I'm like, God, I love how they were all qualified. All of nobody came up and said, "Man, what's your what's what's your credentials? You sure you know the word? I've not seen people like you before." And let me help you with those that like to say that Christianity is the white man's religion. I tell people it came to Africa before it came to Europe. I'm looking here, and I'm seeing at the early days of the church that Africa's being represented. I'm like, I'm not sure what history you're looking at, person who tells me that it is not for people of color. I, I'm like, it looks like it started pretty, you know, pretty close with people of color. Jesus can reach any and everybody, and as a matter of fact, he did and he does. And so there's no reason for you and I to walk around believing foolishness from people that want to say it's not for a particular people group. God said, I launched my church. I mean, I launched my mission to the diverse world with a church that represented different people groups. Antioch helps us to see how we can reach an ethnically diverse world. Number one with the gospel. What is it that brought a diverse group of Jewish men together under Christ? I'm talking about the disciples, those who became apostles. Because, you know, they, aren't, they weren't all from one background. I know many times we like to think in other cultures it's just all one culture. And we know it's not. 
I tell y'all, me and my wife, when we first got married that first year, man, the number of arguments we had that were sending around, I grew up in urban, she grew up in suburban. I grew up more around um, lower income. She grew up around middle and upper income. And the jokes I made that were based on growing up in the projects and the hood offended her at times when she didn't grow up in that context. The issue was just because you look alike doesn't mean you are alike. And so we had these Jews here that were from all these different, and, and you know, in Christ, Matthew, a tax collector, and Simon the zealot could actually live together. Just in case you don't understand, the tax collector was the sellout. You knew that, right? And, Simon, and, and, and the zealot was a by any means necessary dude. And so the sellout wouldn't have lasted five minutes if it wasn't for Jesus. I'm be like, dude, I'm going to end you. Let, let him turn his back. <laughs> you sell out. I'm looking, at the, uh, I'm looking at the group. You have fishermen and you had those that were known and well-respected in their communities. You had those that had to live by the land and those who were... You know, look, you, you look at the diversity of, of just the 12. And we'll tell you what Jesus can do. And so I'm looking now at the leadership of his pivot church. And I see what God is calling you and I to do as we live in the world that is increasingly global. He says, don't discount ethnicities. And they don't look like you and they don't think like you. They wasn't raised like you. God said, who cares? Do you and them belong to Jesus? Are you learning in the same place? Then your culture's made different. Learn from them. Enjoy them. Yeah, there's some things you do differently. But here's what you have in common. Jesus says, me. And when you do, the people that you win to Christ, you won't win because they came from your part of town because they came from your economic group, because they came from your cultural group, you will win them because they want Christ. And you are in Christ. And thus your church will look like it. Well, God, what will we, um, I don't want to lose our identity. What identity? Because the identity that's most important is the one with Christ. Now, does that mean that you have to shed your other? No, but it means that it doesn't take the primary seat. It's not what drives it. Yes, you can still enjoy. God's not telling you to, to, to launch away culture. He's telling you it is no longer your primary driver. You can still enjoy it. You can still walk in it and enjoy some things, but you don't cause it to separate you and others. Yes, it may make some differences in there, but the glory of the gospel is even when you have these wonderful differences, the highlight of Christ that keeps you together tells the world it's possible, but not outside of Christ. Our world fights because of our differences. In Christ, we unite in spite of our differences. Do we see that? And the church in Antioch was showing that clearly. That's how you reach the world. Our churches today are so divided. 
And that's because we've taken culture and we've put it above Christ. God says, I'm not telling you to get rid of it, but you let Christ direct it. You let Christ inform your culture. You let him redeem it. You let him change it. And this church did. The church in Antioch teaches us how we, how we will be in a position to hear from God by his spirit. How did they send out these people that they looked and said, look, we got a lot of different people in this place. Shouldn't we just go out and just reach a whole bunch of different people? No. What do we get here? He says here that they were worshiping the Lord. While they were worshiping together is, the, is what's implied. <clears throat> While they were praising God in all of its beautiful diversity, the Spirit of God spoke. Why do we think we're going to hear from God when we are divided? They were worshiping the Lord together. Jesus is still the focus. Now they're praising God. And it says here, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, and now they're fasting, now they are leaning in. They are, as we say, they are getting it in. They want to hear from God about how we continue to live out our lives. And so they're worshiping God with other believers. They're leaning and fasting. And the fasting, what's implied is, I am spending intense time with the Lord. I am spending good and and. And just, you know, um, um, solitude time, alone time with God, or even, even if I'm coming together corporately, we are fasting not to twist God's arm, but to make sure that I'm leaning in and blocking out all the distractions that could be there and hearing from the Lord. And while they were doing that, the Spirit spoke. Of course, he did. Antioch teaches us, you want to hear from the Lord, do the things that put you in a position to hear from the Lord. Some of us don't hear from the Lord because we aren't as close to the Lord as Alaska is to us. Our hearts are so far away. But Jesus sent me. He sent you. I need to draw you first. We want to be sent, and we're not walking with the Lord. We want to be sent, and we're not in a position to hear from him. Send you to do what? Mess it up? Do you understand the difficulty when you are among cultures and you can be distracted by so many different things in those cultures? What do you need more than anything else? To hear from God. And how do I hear from God? By shedding my heart of the distractions that keep me from hearing from God. How do I do that? Worshiping God puts you in a position of humility. I am, I'm realizing he is God and I'm not. It's not my kingdom, it's his. And I am in a position of worship. It doesn't just mean, and, and here, when we hear worship, many times we hear Sunday morning, I'm coming in, I'm singing a few songs, and I'm out. No, worship is a lifestyle. Monday morning, how are you worshiping the Lord? 
Wednesday afternoon, we like to call it hump day, I'm getting over the hump. No, there's a Wednesday afternoon, how are you worshiping the Lord? Who are you connecting with that you are worshiping the Lord? When is God calling you to fast and set aside the plate? I know it's good. I know, man, she can cook, you know what? She can cook her feet off and you eating and you loving it, but sometimes God says, pull away so you can hear. And they did. And here's what God said. You think, you know, Antioch Church teaches us be in a position, worshiping and fasting. And it says, while they're worshiping, the Lord, you know, the Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them. Hmm. What do you need? The Antioch Church shows us to be in a position, but then the Antioch Church shows us what we need to get started. We just need to hear from the Lord. Here's what they didn't get. They didn't get this real detailed plan. Set apart Barnabas and Saul. <clears throat> okay. What do we got them to do, Lord? Set apart Barnabas and Saul. But Lord, what are you calling them to? We need to set apart why do we need to know all the details when we have enough to get started? What is God saying to you? But you're like, God, I don't have all the details. I don't know. But what do you have? Is it enough to start moving? In essence, he'll say, go, I'll tell you as you go. That's what he's saying. And so what was it? Who was to set them apart in the congregation? This reminds me of in Acts chapter 6 when they told the church. Again, this is a worshiping community. <clears throat> he didn't tell one or two people. He told the body of believers, uh, you know, set apart seven, you know, and so they chose. And they hear set apart Saul, I mean, set apart Barnabas and Saul. And so the church community being a worshiping community, being a fasting, which meant they were also a praying community, went up to Barnabas and Saul, and I'm sure they heard it as well and said, we are to set you apart. Part. What are we to do? We don't know, but we just need to pray over you because the Lord is doing something. The Antioch Church teaches us that a worshiping and fasting church community knows how to collectively hear from God and to set people apart for God's mission. And then lastly, The Antioch Church shows us that ascending church is, and I put here, a church that is proclaiming and that, that is a proclaiming and a teaching church. So he teaches us from the beginning. Number two, they are a praying and fasting church. We get it now at the end. Verse 2, they said, while they were worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the works which I have called to. Okay, look. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them. Well, I, 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 you know what? This church talks about Jesus, prays and fasts. That's all I know about them. And they worship together. And you said, that's not a big deal. Oh, that's everything. Because now they can hear from the Lord. Those things seem like they're so, God, that's so basic. That's so pedestrian. You ain't got anything else for us. Worshiping, fasting, and praying, hearing from you. 
How about this great word of revelation? How about these great prop? Well, you're getting prophecy, just not the kind you think you want. Okay, can I ask this? I was thinking this in my study. Why is it that we have to have what we think is the fantastic when the ordinary is what is actually meant to lead us? God, give us a prophetic word. God, I was like, you got one. Open up the word and begin to read what was proclaimed about me. But we need a new revelation. No, you don't. You're not doing anything with the old one. Why do you need a new one? Well, you know why? Because I want the fantastic. I don't think the ordinary will do. I'm looking here, and the ordinary in the first three verses of chapter 13 set out two men that would be part of the group that would change the world. They sent them out. And if you read, I'm going to give you just a little bit into next week's. It says, verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. Wait a minute. I thought the church sent them out. They did. But it said the Spirit sent them out. They did. Because the church, being under the command of the Holy Spirit, said we agree with what the Lord is doing, so we're sending you. Church, we have an awesome responsibility. But it's only as we listen to the direction of the Holy Spirit, and we will only hear him as we are worshiping together, as we are praying together, as we are at times fasting together so we can lean in and hear. And we're not caring who we're doing it with, how they look or where they're from. God says you better be reaching who's around you. I've always said, does our church look like our community? We can't force anyone to come in by no means. But if we proclaim to everybody, some of everybody will come in. Oh, not all. We know all won't. But we know some will. And the issue is the church at Antioch is teaching us that a unified church will be willing to listen to the Lord. And I put here, and even lose people to the work of Christ by the Spirit. Can you imagine? Send out Barnabas and Saul. Nah, Lord, these are two of our great teachers. Why would I want to send them out? Let them stay. They helped us over this last year to grow. What are you talking about? No. God says, you think these are the only two that I'm going to raise up? He's constantly raising up others. Remember, it's not the person, it's the Lord. And if these two taught you how to walk in the Scriptures, then you teach others how to walk in the Scriptures and watch who I raise up. I love this. They were willing to lose good people. Come on, y'all. We know there. We go, oh, no, Lord, not her, not him. Make them stay. I was like, no, you don't want them to stay if the Lord is saying go. Are we in a position to be like that church in Antioch? We can get there. If we're not, if we are, let's lean in and do it more. Ascending church is a discipling church. Ascending church is a preaching, proclaiming, and teaching church. Ascending church is a unified church regardless of ethnicity. Ascending church is an obedient church. And I pray that we're that as we continue to grow. Thank <laughs> you.
You've been listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast, and we trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at solidword.org. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next week.